Hello, and thank you for tuning in today to Issues of Interest from Baker Newman Noise, where we cover assurance, tax, business advisory, and technology topics and trends affecting the banking and financial services industry. I'm Joe Jalbert, and I lead the banking and financial services practice here at BNN. Banks and financial institutions are constantly navigating volatility and change. Here at Issues of Interest, we help you stay current on what's happening in the industry so you can achieve success for your institution. Now, let's get into the episode. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for Issues of Interest, BNN's podcast for the banking and financial services industry. I'm your host today, Adam McCoy, a tax principal here at Baker Newman Noise, and also a member of the firm's banking and financial institutions practice. I'm here with Tabitha LaMontagne, who's also a tax principal at BNN. Hello, Tabitha. Hi, Adam, and hello to everyone listening. Before we dive in, can you just take a minute to share about your role at BNN? Sure. Along with Adam, I'm a member of our financial institution practice. I've been working with financial institutions in this industry for a little over 16 years. I'm based out of Portland, Maine, and I've primarily focused on community banks. Thanks for that. And for those who might not know me, I'm Adam O'Coin. I also work primarily with the financial institution clients here on the tax side, and I'm excited to be chatting with you here today. Tabitha, I just recently attended the Bank Tax Institute at the beginning of November. Tabitha, could you just give a primer on what that conference is for those who might not be familiar with it? Yeah, it's a conference that's put together, really focused on, I would say, financial institution advisors and their immediate tax teams, focusing on hot topics in the area, what's going on in the banking community, what's going on from a tax perspective, a little bit of gap updates, and really items that that are on the minds of financial institutions and primarily focused from an income tax perspective. The first thing I want to ask you about is what you might have been hearing and seeing on the employee retention credit. Sure. It's definitely a topic that hasn't gone away yet. And it's been sort of interesting to see how this thing has moved about. I'll say my takeaways from the conference is there was two ways to qualify. One was a gross receipts test. I'd like to think that anyone who qualified under that test had quickly filed for those refunds, put their payroll tax returns and have moved forward. What's still a hot topic hanging out there is the second test where you had a a government mandate to shut down. And then also along with that, you had a more than nominal impact to your business. That's where a lot of the advisory firms have been reaching out to our clients and taxpayers all around saying that they qualify and putting together cases for support for them to qualify for this tax credit. What's going on in this space right now is that the IRS has put a moratorium on processing any new requests for refunds to the end of the tax year. So that's kind of giving some people pause. They've also issued out frequently asked questions on who qualifies for the credit, and they have stated within there, I think a lot of these organizations are relying on things from OSHA and the CDC on whether they qualified as a government mandate, and the IRS has basically come out and said that they disagree with that. What we heard at the conference is that first IDR that's coming out when they are selecting these returns for examination is show us the government mandate that you believe you qualify under. You know, on the flip side of that, with this moratorium, you've also got the statute expiring for the 2020 refunds in April of next year. So taxpayers have to be mindful of that walking into these and whether they still believe they qualify to think about putting that filing in so it isn't too late for the statute. And then the other piece that I think I want people to think about too is there's a five-year statute for the IRS to come in and review your 2021 amended returns, but you've only got 
a three-year statute to file for a refund request or to reverse out what your position was. So there could be a loss there where you basically reduced your expenses for taking this request. And if the IRS came in and examined and denied it, there might be a mean a time period for two years where you can't go back and get that benefit of that deduction. All really good points. Just to add a little bit more context to that, I do think we plan on having an article in the next issues of interest on this. So that should add a little bit more context that just higher level, I think what we're also we're hearing is just more increased risk in this area in terms of making sure your ducks really need to be in a row. The audits are going to pick up. They have started here. We haven't seen much in terms of financial institution audit, particularly or exactly for that industry, but it's coming. They're going to look at everything. If you're thinking of filing and haven't filed yet, there's probably a good chance it's going to be looked at. And even those who have filed and gotten refunds are probably going to be looked at or at least be part of a review system. So we do think the risk is increasing. So if you think you qualify and feel really confident in that, just really making sure you know what that government order is and you know what that nominal impact was, it's going to be crucial. Continuing on just other takeaways and topics we heard, one of the things that came up a few different times is just continuing to plan in a raising right environment, something we haven't seen in a little while. I think a lot of us are used to working in this atmosphere of lower rates or 0% rates at times and just things we hadn't maybe thought of in a while that maybe we need to rethink in terms of higher rate interest environment and tax planning that goes with that. Any takeaways there, Tabs, that are things you might have been hearing? Yeah, sure. I think the first thing that comes to mind is the interest expense disallowance with respect to your muni investments. So in the banking world, there is not a direct tracing to your borrowings to municipal investments. And so you basically have to allocate based on, you know, average assets, your average muni assets to your average total assets. And then there's an allocation to disallow some of your interest expenses, which is a permanent adjustment, not tracing it to assume that a piece of it is related to your municipal investments, which are in general tax exempt income to you. Now with interest rates on the rise, that that disallowance is also increasing. So it's definitely having an impact on effective tax rates. So thinking about your muni investments and what that return is, is a piece of it is also to take a look at what is this disallowance calculation coming up with and how is it impacting your effective tax rate. And, and that's a good point. That's you know more applicable maybe to some organizations and others, some of our mutual clients, the effective tax rate may not be as important as for like a public bank or a stock bank who might be putting that information out there. Other things that I think in the TEFR that I think about is you could set up some subsidiaries too that kind of will help mitigate some of that TEFR disallowance. In Massachusetts in particular, they have the security corps in place. So it doesn't work for everybody in every state, but Massachusetts in particular has a nice little setup with the security corps that can kind of help mitigate that a little bit or at least give you an option of planning. Yeah, just to piggyback off of that idea, being mindful too that when municipals are owned by a bank, those assets are considered an ordinary asset. So if you transfer them out of the bank and your whatever entity that owns it does not meet the bank definition, those assets become capital assets. So if you're thinking down the road and if you run into a situation where you've got a loss on them, that capital loss could be limited or loss benefit. Really good point. Yeah. And then just a couple other things in planning and high rate environment, just keeping in mind the timing of some of these deductions. You have a couple of examples of timing issues you might think about, because I think in particular, we think about the timing just in terms of accelerating the tax deductions, but it becomes a little more valuable when the rates are a little bit higher and the cost of funds is higher. So just, a, you know, maybe a couple of things people should be thinking about. 
Yeah, I think something that hasn't been given a lot of thought and markets the way they are thinking about in general of when you've got market discounts on your investments for tax purposes, that is a temporary, you don't recognize the the discount amortization on those until you sell the security. You can make an election for tax purposes to amortize that into income over the life of the security. So that's one item that taxpayers can be thinking about in this interest rate environment. I think there's probably a few other timing deductions and things they can think about, you know, how do you accelerate or decelerate depreciation, prepaid expenses, and some other things that, you know, we're all part of the same conversation we were having six years ago with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Uh, that was an obvious rate change and dropping from 35, 34, 35% down to 21% obvious benefit. A little harder when the rate's still 21 to think about that obvious benefit, but the cost of funds has increased. So what you're doing with that extra cash has probably got more of an impact than you might have had a couple of years ago. Yeah. And also, we don't know what's going to happen. But as of right now, TCJA is sunsetting in 2025. So there's lots of uncertainty there, I think, about now that the individual rates will be going up and lots of provisions are going away to be beneficial to that rate. You know, what's going to happen to the C-Corp rate? That 21% is not scheduled to sunset. But, you know, if they're looking at ways to raise money in Washington, thinking about are we planning for an idea where there might be the rate might be going up? Right. That's an easy, almost politically advantageous pay for, at least it's usually something looked upon it with from taxpayers as, oh, let's just tax the corporations more kind of thing. So it's something that usually works in the favor, but it depends whether this next election goes red or blue too, and which way it goes. But it's a good point that this 21% rate is permanent until it's not right. So 2025 is definitely a tipping point and something we have to consider is with all these sunsets coming to play. And again, it becomes more and more important in terms of being in this environment, this volatile interest rate environment. So changing gears a little bit, just kind of one more topic that was seeming to drive home through a lot of presentations we did was the transferable energy credits. And we won't get too deep into this because that could be a whole podcast or article all by itself if, and then some. But what have you been hearing on that in terms of interest and pricing and where that stands right now in terms of these new credits from the Inflation Reduction Act that are now transferable? Yeah, this is a pretty interesting topic, I think. When this first came out, I was kind of curious on if the demand would be so high that the price on these things wouldn't be that advantageous to taxpayers. But it seems like, particularly in the community bank space, that there are a lot more credits out there than there are investors at this moment. So I, it sounded like the pricing on these are, is pretty beneficial to our of what I would say is our primary client base. And keeping in mind too, so for example, there's, you buy a credit and you pay 92 cents on the dollar for that tax credit. The provisions for this specifically made this t- exempt from federal income tax. So if you're paying for a credit 90 cents on that dollar, that 10 cents is, is tax exempt income to you. So there's definitely a bigger benefit than there might be when where states allow you to buy credits and that spread is taxable income. Right. Yeah. It definitely an interesting market that seems to be emerging for this. And I think there's varying levels of interest depending on your bank's ESG goals and just goals in general. And maybe with lower earnings that we're seeing that the idea of needing these credits is becoming a less pressing. But again, as other goals come into place, and sometimes maybe that spread is enticing. I think we heard the pricing has been somewhere between about 90 to 93 cents, maybe a little more, a little less, depending on how much risk you're willing to take. I think the risk component's a big thing of it as the sellers are realizing that People want tax credit insurance and identification and stuff like that as part of this so that they feel guaranteed and safe and they're willing to pay a little bit more to have a little less risk. Seems to be where the market's heading, but 
more to come here. This is probably not going away anytime soon. And again, it's an interesting way to get some tax benefits, get back to the communities, maybe work on green energy and just something different that you might not have had in your strategy in the past that might come into play here more in the next few years for a market that's still developing, but starting to see some action. So. Yeah. It's also a pretty decent alternative for taxpayers who might not be ready to do an equity investment to receive these credits. So there's a little bit less going on there for them. And I think from a risk perspective of them to invest into an LLC where they're going to be required to own it for a certain number of years and be receiving that pass-through income where they're literally just investing in a tax credit. Right. Maybe a little less accounting and other complications thrown into it in that sense. Yeah. All really good things. Um, the general feel here is more or less, I think people are just very cautious and not quite sure where things are going. I think that was the feeling in the room is just, it's extremely difficult to plan when you don't know where rates are going. The tax planning is a big piece of that, but cautious and maybe a little less optimistic than they would have been a few years ago was kind of the general sense, but each institution might be slightly different too. Yeah. Well, I think that it's been a long, long time since they've had this interest rate squeeze. So this is new waters. Well, I think the interest rate squeeze and the liquidity issue are new. Right. And there might be some people who work in these departments who have never seen a raising right environment that this is completely new to some people. So some people it's old hat and par for the course and others not so much. Any other topics or anything you feel like were taken away that we didn't cover? I feel like we hit on the big topics here. Um, I feel like in a good way, I guess it's a quiet year. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's quiet year in terms of immediate action items. It's more that things are coming down the pike, I think, and we don't quite know where interest rates are going and we don't know how the election's going to hold up in terms of tax policy in the future, which gives us great job security, but doesn't give anybody the warm, cozy feel of knowing what's going to happen. It's tough to plan on and everything's tough to plan right now. It's evolving and changes every year. We keep an eye on these things and try to present them as they come up, but trying to act, know what Congress is going to do and how things are going to go is becoming more and more difficult, I feel. I think that covers the topics we were going to cover and things to consider for the banking industry. Certainly, it's been a volatile year and after a couple of years of some pretty unprecedented earnings, things are kind of swinging the other way for many institutions now. So some of these planning advice and things like that are going to become more and more important. We're always happy to talk to you. Thanks, Tabitha, for sitting down and uh, having a chat with me today. Thanks, Adam. And we're always monitoring and sharing updates and developments. So stay tuned for more articles, podcasts, and resources from our team. Thanks, all. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Issues of Interest from Baker Newman Noise. The BNN Banking Team thrives on solving complex business challenges and helping institutions meet their goals. You can find more of our industry content and subscribe to our newsletter at bnncpa.com. If you'd like to connect with a member of our team, email info at bnncpa.com. Bye now. This podcast is brought to you by Baker Newman Noise. The information contained in this episode is based on data available as of the date of its release. BNN is under no obligation to update this information as changes occur. BNN podcasts, events, and publications are intended to provide general information to our clients and friends. It does not constitute accounting, tax, or legal advice, nor is it intended to convey a thorough treatment of the subject matter. 
The information in this podcast may or may not apply to your individual situation. Consult a professional for help applying these concepts to your personal circumstances. Please contact Baker Newman Noise for additional assistance at info at More information can be found online at bnncpa.com.